I think you're going to be down to your dream weight when they execute you. I think you will get where you want to go uh, weight-wise. You're talking about 146. 146. Wh which happens to be how much I weighed the day I met my wife. And the day you killed those people. You have a way of spinning things. I, I just hope you don't mention that. No, no, no. Don't be silly. I would feel better about it if you didn't refer to me as a as a murderer. Besides the fact that you confessed? Can I not have to bring this up each time? No, you're right. You shouldn't have to bring it up each time. Uh, you know, I got my own uh, stuff going on. I'm being audited. I'm sorry. I want to wear the suit that I was wearing the day... Right, and you know, as your lawyer, I feel that a great injustice has been done and you have been so terribly wrong. Not about the murder that you committed, but about the fact that the state won't pay for your Weight Watchers meals. And believe me, it hurts me. Especially it, since I've tasted the desserts. They are delicious, my friend. Yeah, really good. And you take the D out of death row, and you put it back in delicious where it belongs. I find that whole conversation hilarious. The, Which is, uh, it's called the Death Row Diet, Jonathan Katz. And my guest today here on the Check Your Brain podcast, Tom Leopold. And uh, he is uh, a comedy writer. You've probably might have seen him in bit parts back in the 1970s and Gunsmoke and Mannix and a lot of other parts. The Ted Knight show he was on. I got a chance to talk to him about all of this here in this interview. He wrote for Cheers. He wrote for uh, Chevy Chase. He wrote for Harry Shearer. Uh, a couple of Seinfeld episodes, one of them being uh, the, the suicide. The other one was... The other one was The Cafe, which he created the character of Babu Bhatt. He co-wrote The Cheever Letters, so some three classic Seinfeld episodes that he was a part of. And uh, I got a chance to talk to him a little bit about uh, his career and some of the names in Hollywood. He was impressed, as a lot of people are, <laughs> of my knowledge of older Hollywood figures and everything. Like It's kind of like you know, basically everyone in my family just, how do you know that? That was before you were born. Yes, I was born in 1988, but I know this stuff way before I was born. I kind of pride myself in it. I like it, hence why I do a podcast like this. So my guest today here on the Check Your Brain podcast is Tom Leopold, the long-form interview. Uh, if you are listening to this for free, that means that I did this interview probably a couple of weeks to maybe a couple of months ago. I have a backlog of guests that I'm trying to put on here and posting these on Wednesdays. So if you're listening to this, I did this interview a while ago. But if you have Patreon, if you subscribe to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R, you heard it the day I posted it. So if you want to have an opportunity to listen, I post what I do with these Patreons is I go through the list of people that I have uh, interviewed in the past and then I post them weekly. And uh, But for Patreon, I mix these down, I produce them, I voice this thing, and I play some of the clips and make it sound all nice and pretty, make sure that there's no audio problems and editing issues. And there probably could be that I just missed, but I'm tired and <laughs> I've been at work for too long and I've been in the studio all cooped up and I'm hungry. So you never know what will happen. But I get a chance to do that and I post that on my Patreon and it's available to all three tiers of Patreon. So for five bucks a month, you get this Patreon. You get an opportunity to listen to this interview along with, I do a couple of daily podcasts. You know, for the $5, pod, uh, $5 tier, you get the guests basically right when I post them, and you get extra podcasts per week. And for the $10 tier, you basically get four or five podcasts by me a week. So I riff on the news, I riff on popular culture, I riff on... Uh, music and everything, and uh, or whatever's on my mind. There are some times where there's nothing else on my mind, and I just just roll with the punches. I just riff, talk about pop culture, cancel culture, whatever it may be. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast here with Tom Leopold, the comedy writer, actor, and whatever he's doing right now. So uh, this is a really cool podcast, a lot of fun. I look forward to talking to him. I, I had him on my when I was co-hosting or I was filling in on a radio show a couple of years ago, and I wanted an opportunity to kind of circle back, as Jen Psaki would say, circle back with Tom Leopold. So I hope you enjoyed this one here on the Check Your Brain podcast. Leopold! Leopold. 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 Leopold.
Leopold. Yep. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Uh, I, I actually just played uh, – it's one of my favorite clips. I love playing it, and I'm going to play it at the beginning of the podcast here when I when I put out the full thing, is, uh, is the Jonathan Katz, the death row diet. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. It, it was, it's funny. I was just watching some stuff Jonathan and I did. I, I, I don't think I loved working with anybody more than him. He's just – we just can't get through anything, though. We, it, everything has to be edited because we just laugh because we improvise everything, you know, you, you, like you could tell. But it's like it's so structured. The imp- like it's it's weird because that's what I want to ask you, too, since I'm rolling right now. Anyways, is the oh. the structure of the impro- improvising where it's not just like, hey, we're all going to do everything off the cuff. You have to like almost train yourself to do things off the cuff. You have to train yourself, and especially with you and you and Jonathan Katz being comedy writers as well, that you kind of see both of those worlds. So when you're improvising, you realize you're doing so in a way where it's also still, there's, there's a main structure and a foundation to it. Well, it's funny. It depends who you're working with. Like, I've worked out with Harry Shearer. I don't know if you know Harry. Oh, yeah. Spinal Tap and all that. We worked for years and years. We've written all tons of stuff together. And he had a weekly radio show. And I'd be on like once a month. And all I would say, to, oh, that's my wife going there shopping. That's the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure some of you out there have wives who shop. Anyway. Women be um, shopping. With, yeah. Where's <laughs> to be shopping nowadays? But um, with Harry, I'll just say to Harry, I'll say, here's the idea, or he'll say, That's, this is the idea. And I'll say, and then I'll think up a couple of bullet points. I'll go, Harry, ask me this at some point. Ask me that at some point. I won't tell him because, you know. Mm. So I will have little islands I can go to. But with Jonathan and all the stuff we did with, because, uh, you know, he did um, Dr. Katz, uh, really great series. Uh, he, that was produced by Tom Snyder. And Tom Snyder... I did a couple of animated series for them too. And that was the squiggle Tom, vision. Squiggle vision. And then Tom invented this way of editing audio uh, where it was retro scripting. Like he would say, he would never tell us what to say. He would just say now, but now you're angry at him because he took your hamburger or something. Like, okay. All right. And then, so we always had a little bit of a direction, but um, it, you know, it's like if you, if you're working with someone like cats or, Harry or a bunch of other guys, not that many other guys, you know, it's like you, you get into a, uh, you get into a little da- musical jazz rhythm, you know, you're, you, uh, it's like playing with a good tennis player, you know, it really is like a jazz musician. And when, you know, with that death row diet, uh, it, which I, I, I tell people go on YouTube because it's, it's funny, but it's like, <laughs> it's that, it's that dry sense of humor that you know you have to know your audience if you're going to play that to, for somebody. That like, yeah. for example, my my wife is very mainstream with her humor, although she's kind of like since being with me for the last few years, it's uh, it's kind of like okay, I get where you're going because you're a comedian, you're a radio guy, you have a dirty sense of humor, you have a dark and sometimes a dad dad joke sense of humor. But like, you play that for somebody and you just go okay, like you got to know your audience and who's going to like it because it's, right. it's very, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say, say this to sound, I'm, I'm not trying to sound insulting, but it, it has like that very like oh, Borscht please. belt quality to it. Yes. It's, it's Borscht belt, uh, you know, a 21st century Borscht belt. Yes. I'd say. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, you just, it's a funny thing because with a lot of the things I would do with Harry, it came on the radio and so it's so understated, like we're just talking like this, but the things we're talking about are insane. Like I did a thing for him. It seems interesting story, but uh, to me, unfortunately it won't be to your, your, your viewers, but, but hey, you know, they got in for a limited amount of money, I'm sure. But um, no, uh, we did this thing. Remember the Menendez brothers, the murdering brothers that killed their parents? Mm-hmm. Well, that was a big thing in L.A. And we were, I was living out there and we did this thing where I was an acting coach hired by the Menendez brothers lawyers to teach them how to act when they get on the stand, you know, <laughs> and we're just talking like this. I said, yeah, you know, I, I uh, well, Lyle is more moment to moment 
murderer. Whereas, uh, God, I can't remember the other one's name. Uh, Eric, Eric is more like play the emotion, you know? So it just, as an acting coach, I told, and I told Lyle, put your foot in the trash can and, and walk with a limp, you know, to get used to looking sympathetic, you know, things like that. But whatever, how funny it was, except that it was a big case right at the time. And so at some point, just after that, Harry gets a call from the sheriff's department <laughs> wanting to know who this lawyer was who's teaching the Menendez brothers how to be on the stand, you know? <laughs> and it actually made it into Dominic Dunn's book about that trial, saying, and there was even a rumor that an acting coach was hired to. <laughs> it's just, but, you know, if you're half listening and you're kind of talking in a kind of a regular tone and you're only half listening, you know, people, it sound, people, the, the amount of people who would believe this kind of stuff we did was remarkable. I think, and it has a lot to do with just the matter of factness of it, you know. That was uh, one of the stories that uh, Bob Einstein told uh, uh, when he was, I think he was, uh, I think it was like an ad agent at the time. And he was the, he was friends with Bob Arbogast, who was a radio guy. And then he did some TV in Los Angeles. And he had him on as the guy who puts the uh, the, the stars in the Walk of Fame on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> and, it, you know, be, because that was you – know, it's so funny with, like, humor nowadays. It's like that yeah. with today's comedians is considered, oh, that's hacky. You're coming up with written, you know, material. And I'm like – Funny is funny, and that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the guy that's putting the stars on there. Oh, God, then, I wish I had thought of that. And then somebody in the that's audience, <laughs> somebody in the audience yeah. goes, "I heard somebody does that. Uh, you know, they have to pay for those stars." And he starts getting really yeah. angry. He's like, "What?" Yeah, then it gets. You're like, why can't? Why did I do this? I can't believe I came out here and did all this. Like, Bob, why, why are you having me out here? This is ridiculous. If people are just insulting me, and and somebody's like, well, how, you know, what do I do to get a star? And there's like, well, you got twenty bucks. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and also, you know, I had a lot of trouble with that with Bud Abbott's star. You know, the, the, it wouldn't fit in the, in the in the sidewalk quite. You know, telling. I mean, getting into real mundane stuff about the actual putting of the star in the sidewalk. But, you know, um, you you probably know, but a lot of people, younger people don't know who the great Bob and Ray were. Mm -hmm. Chris Elliott's you know them? Oh, my God. And they were heroes of mine and everybody I know. And they would do, do bits like that where they had a cooking show on. They had a radio show and then they would they did Broadway and they're on Carson all the time. But they would do it. They did a thing. One bit they would do was a once over easy. And it was a, just a cooking show where <laughs> Bob makes one egg, fried egg, and then they talk about him putting it on there and turning it over. And, and that's, you know, that's it. But it, it was so funny. And, yeah. you know, that, that, that such a nothing with two guys who know what, you know, who are geniuses can do, you know, just to prolong. It'll make every comment about bad cooking show dialogue, you know. <laughs> It's that theater of the mind. It's fantastic, and and you're somebody who actually and and one of the things I wanted to ask you about because the the National Lampoon Radio Hour. So you wrote for National Lampoon the magazine, and then eventually yeah. contributed with just the cavalcade of stars. Because it's it's so funny where the two camps of like the modern day sketch comedy worlds came together, and they were from two strange outlets. The New York faction, which was the National Lampoon's Radio Hour, and then up in right. Canada, they had with the SC, SCTV gang, is that they had well, that Godspell cast with, with your friend Paul Schaefer. Yeah. So Paul Schaefer, Marty Short's a good friend, Gene Levin. Oh, yeah, and I this whole pandemic, I've been watching nothing but SCTVs that I had never seen. Oh, and the, it's just, how good are they? Oh, there's never, it's just... You know, it makes me rethink my whole career. It's so good. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I settled for that middle run of comedy. You know, otherwise I'd be exhausted. So one thing that's interesting. One thing that's interesting about the National Lampoon Radio Hour. It's an interesting connection to where I'm just down the road from Cleveland, and when National Lampoon Radio Hour was on WMMS in Cleveland. And it was on Sunday nights or whatever, and they had a whole thing where they said, by the way, because if I don't know if it was a Nixon episode or something, your radio station is going to be is censoring National Lampoon Radio Hour and cutting it to only a half hour. So these radio stations are like, 
oh, well, we got to fill this half hour with something else. So when the half hour is up, they go to commercial and then they put music on or whatever other King Biscuit flower hour or whatever the case is at the time. And people, and then before, but nobody had listened to it because it's Sunday night and everyone's at home eating dinner or whatever. And they said, by the way, your station is censoring it. Uh, we wanted to play the final half hour, but it, whatever the case. And they got flooded with hate mail on all these people. We're just like, I can't believe you're censoring it, man. You know, you're just total censorship for National Lampoon. And somebody, so with all of the hate mail that MMS got, one of it was a guy who did, did a comic strip. And it was really funny, this cartoon in a comic strip about how the censorship of the, of the Lampoon Hour. And it, it was so good that the guy, the program director, instead of being mad or hurt by the hate mail, is like, I'm impressed. I'm going to hire that guy. And he's going to do, do cartoons and ad work for our radio station, which he still does oh. 45 years later because of National Lampoon Radio Hour. It turned into what's oh. now the, the Buzzard, which is the big radio station in Cleveland. And a lot of stations were taken off of, uh, hey, let's name our station The Wolf or The Animal or something that was based on the popularity of The Buzzard. And that was because of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. Wow. That's the amazing thing. These things have lives that, like, now I'm at an age where... You know, I uh, like I do Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. Uh, I've done that a few times. Fantastic. And, and thank you. I mean, thank him. But I've done it a bunch of times. And, you know, I, I, I did the pilot with him just to try it out. And I remember thinking all we talked about were these B and C level actors from the 50s television shows. And I thought this is going to be me listening, three other guys, you know. And then as I did more and more of them, we talk about this very in, 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 inside baseball showbiz stuff, but even not even high rank, just, just bad kind of B-level stuff that made us laugh as kids. And I thought, what young person's going to give a darn about this? And to my amazement, it became 50, 60,000 people. And uh, it made me feel good that people would tell, back to your point about funny's funny, you know. Well, we may not know who Lon Chaney Jr. is, but the context and the story is so funny. And so I was shocked and, and, and uh, gratified to see how, how uh, you know, we could talk about uh, Milton Berle's private parts for <laughs> half an hour and 60,000 people stay tuned, you know? Makes, gives, it gives me faith in the, in the, in the world, you know, man? That's, what, that's the kind of story you need to keep on going. Yeah, like either yeah, Milton Berle's dick or Hunts Hall's dick. <laughs> or for Forrest Tucker. I never heard Hans Hall. I never heard Hans Hall had a big, a big Schwanz. For, Forrest Tucker, yeah. Forrest Tucker oh, was Forrest one of Tucker. them. Yeah. yeah, there was a there was a couple of uh, uh, more contemporary reference would probably be Huey Lewis. I've heard that one too. No kidding. <laughs> but no, that's what's so funny because that podcast, Gilbert's podcast, kind of helped me want to launch a podcast a few years ago because I was always looking at what's an angle to take, and you realize that there are just you're not going to get the audience that Howard Stern in 1991 got anymore. It's just not going to happen not because of, right. there's too many options. And it's the same with television. No one's going to match the level of the Seinfeld finale, the Roots finale, the MASH finale. So what By you the way, do is, I, was, uh, I, I was in Roots. No, I'm just kidding. No, you weren't? <laughs> you, no, I wasn't. <laughs> you, by the way, I was, you know, I was watching a little Although bit. I, I, if, I, I, if I really you know, it, it pushed and pleaded for a role. I'm sure I might have gotten a little, little something. I was watching a, a, a clip from Roots uh, when uh, Cecil A. Tyson passed away a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, yeah. and I, I saw it was Robert Reed, and boy, he loved just anything that had nothing to do with Mike Brady, he would take. He would play yeah. a transgender or transsexual yeah, on yeah. TV. He's playing a slave master. He's like, look, I'm, I'm washing my hands yeah. of all of Mike Brady right, right now. I'd be I'd be Mr. Peanut just to get away from it. Yeah. Yeah, he was not he was not a happy woman, you know, <laughs> when she was on that show. Yeah. Although although he did did seem to really enjoy the uh, Brady Bunch variety shows and the, with the songs and dancing and no no Eve well, Plum. Eve Plum said no, I'm peacing out. I'm no, they, Speaking of which, I when Chevy Chase left Saturday Night Live, I know we covered some of the stuff last time but we his first special, you know, in order for him to leave, he owed them a special. And he was the biggest thing in the country at the time. And, and so he asked me to write on it. Brian Murray, Billy Murray's brother, Paul Schaefer. So I've known Paul ever since then. 
and we were writing our special and the Brady Bunch Comedy Hour, or whatever it was called, with the swimming pool. Yep. It had a swimming pool and bathing beauties. And then the part, not Partridge, but the Brady family dressed up in like, dressed up like in uh, like funk, you know, Tower of Power costumes or something. <laughs> and so we'd go over there and just, you know, hang by the pool and watch the kids. And um, uh, Brian Murray put a, a Babe Ruth, not Babe, Baby Ruth chocolate bar in the pool, you know, in the, in the, cause the, so, you know, we were having a lot of fun in those days. Which, which was the gag was used in Caddyshack a couple of years later. Yeah. And Brian wrote Caddyshack. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask you a couple of these other uh, people that you worked with, especially in your acting days, cause you, you transitioned, you did more writing as time went on. Uh, but like, in, especially in the 70s. I transitioned before it was popular. Yeah, exactly. Wait, you know, while yeah. Bruce while Bruce Jenner was making <laughs> was winning gold medals, you were making the transition before him. <laughs> I was being kicked out of acting. <laughs> but but you, I mean, you were you like you worked on the, the for, not the too close for comfort, but you worked on the original Ted Knight show, right? What was it like working oh, with man. Ted? Gee, well, he was great. He was really sweet. It was just. Yeah, listen to this idea for a series and try to tell me why it didn't go. But uh, Ted Knight, I got the part of his son, <clears throat> excuse me, just a little vodka, you know, to, just to get me going. Yeah, right. First thing in the morning. <laughs> I'm a morning martini. No, but um, <clears throat> so right after Mary Tyler Moore, he got this series where he, he ran a uh, escort service, but legitimate with all these beautiful girls mm -hmm. and they take go out on dates. I don't know why legitimate because I'm sure there never was legitimate, but, and I played his son and I'm always trying to get the, all the escort girls, you know, and um, we did like eight episodes. It was just, just the, the worst thing in the world, but it, um, now I'm told I got so back. My memory went so back into it that I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> well, with Ted Knight and, and getting I, a chance Knight, to work with I him. I was so immersed in how bad it was. I couldn't remember what I was saying. <laughs> but like we're working with Ted Knight for a, for a show that, I mean, he was so big. Like you'd think that character, the Ron Burgundy of today is basically, it's like, yeah, I already saw Ron Burgundy and that was oh, Ted yeah. Baxter in those days. That's a good point. And yeah. everybody yeah. who, like just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we lost Cloris Leachman and, you know, with the the amount of spinoffs that came from Mary Tyler Moore, and then you had uh, Lou Grant was on there, and Rhoda, and and uh, right. Phyllis, and everything, and so it's like, what's the next thing for Ted Knight? So this was his next thing. It just, it it just, I guess, it didn't go anywhere. No, but then, so we did six episodes, none of which have shown up yet on YouTube. I'm happy to say, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I was doing all that kind of stuff while I was writing. I mean, I started writing for the Lampoon in radio hour when I was like 20. So I'd be off doing these plays in Boston or at the Long Wharf Theater or the arena, you know, and then sending in stuff for the radio show or magazine. And so I was doing these things always kind of parallel and then the writing took over. You know, I was on Gunsmoke and Mannix and mm -hmm. all these things, you know, and uh, which is, I always say, I'm so, sometimes I'm surprised I'm only this old. I've been doing this so much. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was like 18, you know. I'll, I'll pop Mannix on every so often. That's the one thing of a zoo, with these me TV shows and, and, and antenna TV and what grit is one of them. Every so often, I'm sure you probably will, you know, maybe pop those on and like go, oh, wait, maybe this is the episode where I'm in it. And, uh, you know, all those Quinn Martin production TV yeah, shows that are yeah. around there that had a lot of those contract players. So yeah, of course you had your, you know, your Peter Falks or your uh, William Conrads, but then you would just have like this cavalcade of character actors, and you were one of those in those days. Yeah, Robert Robert Culp was always one of them, you know, and Robert Vaughn, and yeah, and then all that seventies really hot lighting, you know, like and like you watch Mannix, and it, the room is lit so brightly everywhere. It's like it was the whole style back then. It wasn't. It yeah. wasn't. Wasn't Mannix, by the way. Wasn't that the same set the Brady's used too? That they used sim oh, yeah, similar no. sets. <laughs> but Mannix was great. I hold. I hold Mannix prisoner for an hour on the show. I'm a gang member. I played a lot of tough kids for some reason. I was like 120 pounds, and I don't know where that happened. Why that <laughs> happened, but but um, yeah, and I did that, and oh, Gunsmoke Mannix, uh, Owen Marshall, counselor at law. 
where Wayne Newton was my college professor. <laughs> Give you an idea what, what casting was like back then. That was, and then you were also, you were also up in the running for Fonzie, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I knew Henry Winkler <clears throat> from from New York. We were both fired from the same theater. This one theater had two two theaters. We had one playhouse had two theaters, and we were both fired from each of our different plays at the same day. And we went out and had coffee or beers on. But uh, then yeah, a few years later, we're, we're, it's the, the finals for Fonzie. And, and I'm sitting there with Henry and maybe a couple of other guys. But I mean, there could have been other finalists. But in that day, that's where that, you know Henry was there, which was great to see him. And then, uh, so I guess I just couldn't go, hey, right. You know, <laughs> as good as Henry. <laughs> I couldn't go, I couldn't get my arms up to do the hair, you know. But anyway, he was great. And so after that, audition about a couple of weeks later I, I run into Henry at the at the farmer's market kind of famous place in LA and I we're, we're talking ah oh, yeah man that 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 thing we we're both up for but that that was a piece of shit <laughs> and he goes yeah well I got it I'm gonna be Fonzie and then, oh and I go oh I'm sure I'm sure it's gonna be great man <laughs> yeah, that's what I know right <laughs> how much did the character change from what you auditioned for oh it got bigger like these things do when somebody breaks out on a show, you know, and it became the Fonzie show. But in the pilot, it was just, you know, he's just this guy, you know, maybe uh, one scene, you know, uh, if I can recall. I also auditioned for the Partridge family. Oh, really? David Cassidy thing. Yeah, because I was the same age. Yeah. Those days. Not cute enough. Story of my life, buddy. Boy, well, so yeah, but... I don't think anyone could even get to that part, and everyone was very jealous of that part, including Jack Cassidy. <laughs> yeah, he set himself on fire. Yeah, he was so upset. Lit yeah. himself, yeah, lit himself on fire with the cigarette on a Naga Hyde couch. Yeah, I'm, I'm somewhere in the flats of Beverly Hills. Yeah. That's, I don't want. I don't want to go on the flats in Beverly Hills, man. I wanna, if I'm gonna die, I want to be in like Rome or something. You know. Man, it, it, it what's what's interesting. You, you really know your stuff for a young guy. How old are you? I turn thirty three next week. Wow. Well, it's a, I that, ties over. and that's yeah. what I like about old entertainment. That's what I mean. I'm so surprised that you know that you 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 know so many of these things. It's like sometimes I feel like it, you know those eighty year old guys, who, rich guys who get married to a twenty year old woman. And he's trying to explain what you know Hopalong Cassidy was. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no. But so uh, it's nice when someone is, you know, was into that, you know, into that old stuff instead of just the stuff of their time, you know, because when I was a kid, I was still, I was into stuff before my time too, you know? Oh yeah. And, and the one thing with growing up was that I would, you know, I was a big Bob Hope fan. I was raised on uh, Laurel and Hardy, Marx Brothers, Three Stooges and everything. And yeah, I've taken that to the point where I will sit there with my wife and I'll say, oh, do you remember so-and-so? He was on that TV show with this guy, this guy. And she's like, no, you, I don't remember. And you shouldn't remember because it was at least 15, <laughs> 20 years before you were born. So then when when my mother-in-law comes over, and it, she, so we're just watching TV. So when my wife's working, we're watching TV and we're watching like Columbo, for example, and just – Oh, that's the guy who was in, uh, yeah, remember, he was the murderer. He was in Barnaby right. Jones, where him and Buddy Epson got into this. I know Barnaby Jones. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the geriatric gumshoe. Yeah. yeah. Hey, honey, wit pistol's on. Come in. <laughs> Hurry, wit pistol. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's what's amazing to me, that it got such a following. It, it, it It's uh, very heartening, you know, because... Like we thought we were the end of the people who would make fun of the Rat Pack, you know, because we grew up when the Rat Pack was big and you wanted to really be like those mm-hmm. guys. I <clears throat> got 14. I'm thinking, man, I want to be Frank Sinatra and get get some broads, you know, and um, as they said in those days. But uh, and I thought, well, I, we've been making, feeding off of that our whole lives. Paul Schaefer and I and Harry and Belzer, you know, and all these different people because it made such an impression out of us on us like. Hefner's mansion and all that, but but there's I, you think by now that would be all forgotten. But that's what's great too that people see that stuff with the same mixture of irony and envy, <laughs> yeah. you know, as I did 
And because it's funny, too, that, you know, that ring-a-ding, all that stuff. And it's it, it hasn't gone away because it was because it was interesting and funny. Even and it's lack of quality was sometimes the most entertaining thing about all that stuff. Yeah. And when you had comedians in the day of, you know, the 60s and the 70s, like it's weird to think that. The legacy of Don Rickles, for example, is that he's the insult comic who makes fun of the black guy in the third row and this guy. But then in the middle of a set, he starts singing a song. And people yeah. today in the context of today go, why is Don Rickles singing? But then you realize we didn't have the variety that we have now. And we have legit variety where I can, for example, I could just watch Antenna TV all day and just see old shows. And it, it yeah. and, and I can live my life and watch entertainment from shows from before I was born. So we have that variety. But in those days, that's why Ed Sullivan was so big, is that you would have a juggler followed by the Beatles, followed by Frank Gorshin, followed by yeah. someone playing the violin. And you... We were a little bit more cultured in those. We as a society was more cultured in those days because we did get an opportunity to see things that okay, maybe I'm not a big fan of this, but at least I know about it. Right. Well, that was the vaudeville of my young childhood. I mean, that was that was Ed Sullivan was, as Marty Shore would say, a vaudeville. You know, it, that was that was you know it was a television show, but it was what people used to go out and see. They'd go see it theater and they go see a juggler and a comic and a, and a monkey act and uh yeah ed sullivan was you know yeah well you just, just, you just described my stand-up act <laughs> described <laughs> my biopsy but anyway um yeah and uh you know it was just mesmerizing you know? well even and you and you got a chance to work with steve allen too oh man i got a chance to work with i you know at a real young age, I lucked into getting in, in the comedy thing and working with absolutely most of my heroes. I even wrote for Bob Hope a, a joke. I'll tell you if you ever want. I, I don't know if I ever told you that. But, but anyway, yeah. And uh, did I tell you the Steve Allen story about the first day of work? I don't remember. But maybe. I'm not sure. Go go ahead and tell it. I, I'd love to hear it again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we're not rolling anyway. Huh? No, it's uh, five minutes. Hang on. <laughs> we're in a half an hour and you're just uh, we're vamping. Yeah, it's just we're I forgot to hit record. Wouldn't, wouldn't be the first time I've done that. <laughs> we're going right to be red hot when, it, when you turn that machine oh, on. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Oh, uh, well, there was the Bob Hope joke and Steve Allen. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Steve Allen thing. Thank you. You know, a man of a certain age. Um, first day, I got Steve Allen was absolutely my David Letterman of my, peer, my generation. I mean, I couldn't believe how fast he was, you know. And improvising and all that. And uh, so I get this job and the first day of work at the Steve Allen show, they're shooting a sketch that I wrote um, outside in a movie theater, lo real location outside the movie theater. And Steve is there and I, we just, you know, he just met me, you know, I mean, I met him at the, at the audition to be a writer and all that, but I'm standing next to him. And I mean, really, this is to me like a God, you know, and Steve was, uh, and I'm just standing there, and he's standing there, and he was really tall. He was like 6'4". And, uh, and he had a little round Band-Aid on his neck, like from a pimple or something. And uh, I'm just standing there, and all of a sudden, I just look up, and I take my finger, and I put it on, his, on the Band-Aid, and I just hold it there. <laughs> and I go, and I lean into his neck, and I go, Gwen, have Charlie bring my car around. Call the barber shop. Tell them I'm going to be down. I don't want to, you know, I'm, uh, you know, have my nails done. You know, and I kept it there a really long time. <laughs> and I, you know, I could have been fired right then, you know, but he laughed so hard, and we became really. He became so wonderful to me that he put me and you know Catherine O'Hara, the great Catherine uh -huh. O'Hara. She and I were two writers on it, and. We wrote these bits for ourselves, and he put us on. So not only were we writing the shows, we were. I was dancing with Donald O'Connor. Catherine and I danced with Donald O'Connor and Kay Ballard in this kind of review. And so Steve-O was really, uh, you know, he's kind of forgotten now because it's not, you know, he's not in movies and he's not on record. And but um, yeah, he was. Yeah, it was a great story. And, and Bob Hope, of course, I wrote Bob. Uh, I'm doing Cheers, and uh, Cheers 
no, it was before I actually was doing writing on Cheers. I was writing a special to introduce the new, you know, the new shows coming up in the next season for NBC. Yeah. And uh, so the Cheers was dying. It was like four episodes in, it was dying. And so they decided to host this whole thing where the star of Mammal, Manimal comes and Knight Rider comes to have a drink at the bar and talk about their new show, right? It's the kind of specials they had in those days. And uh, so Bob Hope, of course, who lived down the street in Toluca Lake, where we were Warner Brothers, uh, they said to me, Tom, Mr. Hope's gonna do, come tomorrow and do it. Would you write him a joke? Because he know, and he, they knew I loved all the old stuff and all the old guys. And uh, so that night I'm thinking, I'm gonna get, I get a chance to write a joke for Bob Hope. This is like beyond, you know, I'm like four, five years out of high school, you know? And uh, so all night I kind of thought, what's a Bob Hope joke? Like if you had a Bob Hope machine and you ran a, you know, you ran a, program through it what would be the great bob hope show you know i couldn't even sleep and uh, well, it's it's so got it's got to start off with i gotta tell you or something right right <laughs> right right yeah yeah in a while but anyway uh so we get there and i and i told the i had the joke and you know the cast of cheers was hosting the, the thing so the uh so the, i tell it to the producer he says yeah it's pretty good go to give it to bob give, it's a little bit a little bit of dialogue between him and cat and diane and so I said, Mr. Hope, I'm Tommy. Well, I'm writing, and I wrote a little thing for you. If you tell me, if it's, you know. And he goes, Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cute, cute. Okay, I'll do that. And he didn't laugh or anything, mm. but he said cute, and he did it. And the line was, you know, he's sitting at the at the bar, and it's supposed to be a party. And uh, Shelley Long comes up and goes, Mr. Hope, I hope you're having a good time tonight. And uh, Bob says, yeah, yeah, this is great. You know, I haven't had this much fun since I short-sheeted Dorothy Lamour's sarong. <laughs> Which is such an old-fashioned, that would be such a line in one of those road pictures, you know. So everybody was short-sheeting people's sheets, and which was, I'm not even sure what that was. Oh, here's my, here's my agent. Oh, hello there. That's well, Frankie. Frankie, Frankie, the, uh, the puppy. He does a lot of my punch-up work. <laughs> I'm kind of more of a structure guy, you know. He's the uh, okay. yeah. That's what you. That's what you do. Is you need uh, you. You know, you you write drunk and you have to edit sober. And he's the <laughs> one who just uh, you just put it down. You play the dog shit game wherever. Yeah. Wherever he yeah, shits. Yeah, man, I, I just get in the zone, you know, and he cleans it up. <laughs> the I do a lot of cleaning up for him too. So. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny about Bob Hope because I, him being born in London, but grew up in Cleveland, right, just up the road from here. Right. And when he eventually moved to Toluca Lake, which I've been, obviously I didn't go into his house, but I've driven by it because there's the Bob's Big Boy that's down the street in Burbank that he would always yeah. go to and the, uh, the the car hops in the back and everything. But uh, it, Really? I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, he would. He and a lot yeah, of Yeah, I'm going to have the chicken sandwich. Yeah, wild, wild. Yeah, that's Joey Heather, Joey Heather didn't bring it out. <laughs> hey, this is this is Bob's this is Bob's uh, big boy hope. I, I don't know. Try it. This is Bob. I don't want onions. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, speaking of Bob Hope and Steve Allen, so uh, one thing I know Gil Gilbert was obsessed with talking about is this TV movie called Joys. Have you heard of this? No. So Bob Hope. So remember the Hope specials that. Because there was the Bob Hope in the 30s on the radio and 40s on radio and then 50s starting to go into television. And by right. right around the Vietnam War, he was the guy that he was looked upon as like a hero. He's the funniest man in Hollywood. Then by Vietnam, he started going like, oh, he's part of that military industrial complex. And he started not being as hip with the baby boomers. So, but right. so then when he had those one-off specials, or he would introduce the college football players and everything, right. is that they were starting to make get them, like, he'd make them sing or something, you know? Yeah, and, and they'd all tell a joke or something like that. It's like uh, Orlando Pace, Ohio State University, Bob, uh, you know, and he would tell a joke. But so he would do these specials, and there would be Bob would be dressed as a beetle in the '60s with Lucille Ball and. It was like, or there were hippies, and then they did a special called Joys, which was right after Jaws. So it's like, well, instead of having a oh, shark Joy's that kills these, okay. yeah, yeah. So instead of a shark that kills these or kills people, let's have somebody killing comedians. So it's it, it's the 
greatest cast of next to Mad Mad World of comedians. You know, now and everybody. that you mention it, I think I have seen it, and it all takes place at Bob's house or yes. something. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Where <laughs> like it's where uh, Foster Brooks is in his back seat drunk and Steve Allen's playing the piano and Milton Berle's dressed in drag next to Milton Berle. All right, yes, yes. Now it's all coming back to me now, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the guest stars here, and I know you've probably worked with half of these people or most of them, you know, in alphabetical order. And I'm on IMDb, obviously, with Bob Hope. But you have Don Adams, Jack Albertson, Marty Allen from uh, – uh, you know, uh, Alan oh, and Rossi, Rossi, Steve Allen, Des Yarnez, the great Billy Barty, uh, yeah. Rona Barrett, uh, Milton Berle, Fro Foster Brooks, George Burns, uh, Pat Buttram, Red Buttons, former podcast guest John Biner uh, was a, a part of it. I'm only, oh, in the, yeah. I'm only in the bees right now. <laughs> keep going, keep going. You have, I could listen to this all day. Glenn Campbell made an appearance. Uh, the always pleasant Jack Carter. Charo, for what for whatever reason, we have to have a musical number by Charo because it's the 70s. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, Jerry Colonna, uh, post-stroke Jerry Colonna, by the way, where he's just there with huh? his mustache. I think he, I think Jerry had something on Bob, you know? Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he, uh, I think Bob, he, he had pictures of Bob doing something. I'm sure there were quite a few book. pictures of Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a lot of mercy gigs for you, Joey. Mike Connors, your your former castmate uh, on Mannix. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Scatman Crothers. You had Bill Dana, who I don't know if he was doing the Jose Jimenez. Uh, Angie Dickinson, Phyllis Diller, Jamie Farr, George Goebel, David Jansen, Artie Johnson, Alan King, George Kirby, Don Knotts, Fred McMurray, Dean Martin, Groucho, who was like on death's wow. door at that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jan Murray, Wayne Newton, Vincent Price, Freddie Prinz, uh, uh, Don Rickles, Harry, one of the Ritz brothers, Harry Ritz, Telly Savalas, Phil Silvers, Larry Storch, who's still with us, Abe Vigoda, and uh, uh, Jimmy J.J. Walker, Flip Wilson, and not to give it away, but the murderer is Johnny Carson. <laughs> I gotta go lay down. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. But I like, gotta, what? What? I'm a, gonna take a rest after hearing that. What, what a great cast, and the show is terrible. <laughs> well, but it's got to be like <clears throat> it's got to be one one liner after another with each guy going quickly by, right? I mean, an hour thing with all those people in it. It was like a, I think it was like a two hour special, and a, and all the commercials, of course, were Bob Hope uh, doing Texaco stuff. Like he was on the he was on an, like an oil barracks, and you know, hey, it's Bob Texaco Hope here for Texaco, and you know, fill up your gas tank, your seventy six yeah. Pinto, and whatever the case. Yeah. And it was it was just amazing. But I'm sure you've you probably worked with most of those, or at least half of those. Yeah, I worked people. with a lot of those those people. The thing is, that was around before even that. That Bob got Bob just he just got so lazy, you know. Yeah, and he'd just be reading the cue card, and the camera would be here, and he'd be reading the cue cards <laughs> over here. He's just like no effort at all, you know. Just, that, that yeah, yeah, Joey. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then the camera would be here, you know. That Dave Thomas so Bob, bit. When Dave Thomas did the Bob Hope, oh. because who does Bob? You couldn't even get Rich Little to do a good Bob Hope, and Dave Thomas nailed it nope, because could do he got the mannerisms. He got looking at the cue cards off of the camera. He got the mannerisms of the with the nose, the ski slope, and you know just all the other stuff. You know, funny stuff. Like it wasn't just the hey, is Bob? It's the other parts of Hope that he was doing in the, in the classic SCTV bit with him and Rick Moranis yeah. as Woody Allen. It played again, Bob, which I tell people all the time, you got to go check that out. Uh, well, the one that's even better than that is, I think it's Marty Short interview. I don't forget which one it was, maybe Joe Flaherty. And it's just an interview with Bob. Oh, the and Sammy Bob Maudlin. Just, yeah, the Sammy Maudlin show. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And it's just Bob <laughs> talking about how he's going to go and he's going to go do this thing in China. Yep. <laughs> he's going to the Chinese communists. But he throws away all those little Bob Hopeisms. And the great thing about Dave is, who uh, I'm happy to know, uh, be, have a friend of, happy to be a friend of his, um, is out of, he's such an art, a great artist that he would only do Bob Hope at the, at the, the age Bob really was. So 30 years ago, he was doing that kind of Bob Hope. Mm -hmm. And then later, he would keep up whatever Bob's age was. Yeah, and then later on it would be, yeah, well, that's wild. He would do the older, 
you know, it was like a matter of pride for him to just do whatever age Bob was to be do the impression at that age. You know? Oh, is that just that? That is it's hilarious. And especially because I've, you know, like Gilbert does the Groucho impression, but the older Groucho. So you're talking about the <laughs> the Flemo, the Aaron Fleming Groucho, where he's just yeah. uh, he's just there. He he's not the same Groucho. He's wearing the beret in those years. Uh, <laughs> you can see in that special, Aaron is making him sign all everything over to her. Mm-hmm. I think there's a scene in there. <laughs> oh, that's uh his girlfriend. Yes, or his girlfriend slash handler slash whatever. We, I had uh, Steve. Yeah. I had Steve Stolier on here on the podcast too to talk about uh, those days of which he does the great. He also does the, you know, the duck soup Groucho, and then the post you bet your life like the Carnegie Hall Groucho. So it's just it's funny how you can go back and forth between here's the young hip Groucho to, to the uh, you know the. Uh, all my friends, S.J. Perelman, and all of them are gone. <laughs> the uh, the well, Margaret that, Dumont years. Well, that is like uh, you know, imagine like you're 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 a kid and you're learning how to do that, and, you're, and you spend twenty hours a, a day doing it. Well, you could be learning the piano or something. And your parents, are, do you catch it? All right, you you don't need to learn to do two the two different Groucho's. Spend time and do something that's going to give you a living. That's <laughs> you know? your kids down in the basement, uh, you know, doing uh, doing whatever, you know. That, that, but, was a, that was like with Billy West. The Billy West growing up was like, you know, he could be probably playing sports and hanging out with his friends. And he's like, look, everybody does a curly impression. I got to do a Larry Fine impression <laughs> and perfected it. And the mother's going, would you go out and, you know, go. Do something, you know, study or, but, you know. That's what I was doing. I, I balanced out my uh, my sports, uh, you know, my getting girls and then trying to impress them by doing impressions of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> um, uh, what's a Sig Ruman. I'll just do Sig Ruman impressions for, you know, because that, or, or doing like an, um, uh, what's his name, Rondo Hatton. I'm going to do Rondo Hatton impressions for all. Yeah, that, he had that Marfan syndrome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Adam's family. But uh, Yeah, of uh, While I have you a couple, because, you know, you wrote for all these shows and everything, but I, I was really interested, I didn't get a chance to ask you this last time, about your conversion to Catholicism, because you're, you were Jewish growing up, and yeah. it wasn't up until probably a decade ago that you made, like, what, triggered this and the second part i want to ask after that is how has you know the last year kind of affected your faith if at all or if it's strengthened it or if it's weakened it how, how has that been well that's a good segue from from you know forrest tucker schwantz <laughs> to my <laughs> coming to good faith see i'm doing um, my own variety show i know it's <laughs> per- perfect yeah, I'm gonna. I said, oh, <laughs> almost threw my neck out with that with that segue. It was through my neck out hearing that segue. Yeah, Joe, just um, wait. Barry Williams is going to be swimming next, so uh, he's going to be doing a song and dance and sw- swimming. Um, well, to answer the first thing, um, why it sort of happened, you know, I was a very proud Jewish. Jew, I mean, you don't get this funny not being Jewish. You know what I mean? So of course. I was very happy and proud, and. Um, I'm what was one four boys, and my parents never got us bar mitzvah or anything. And my parents would only join a synagogue if they heard the synagogue was going to put on a musical. They just only joined the synagogue to get in the show, you know. So they'd audition for the show, they get a part in the musical, and then they join the synagogue and then leave when they heard another musical was being done at Temple Beth Am, you know. Where mm. we so, uh, so we never really had any. I mean. F- believers and proud to be Jewish and everything, but no real spiritual part of it, except, you know, cultural great love of it. But was it so, the more, was it like kind of the reform Judaism or was it? It wasn't even reformed. It was something even so more, it was reformed squared, you know, but, but every other word out of my mouth is I'm a Jew with, you know, we're, you know, we're loving it. In, in, You're schlepping in, around. Yeah. I'm schlepping. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> spritzing. I'm plotzing, you know, on Spitzer, on Plotzer. Anyway, um, so um, anyway, so it flashed forward many, many years, and uh, about ten years ago, and there's some. One of my children was ill, 
and I won't go into the whole thing, but uh, thank God she's fine now. And um, it was a pretty horrible, you know, it was, it was very, very bad. But um, she was in these different hospitals around country, trying this, trying that. And uh, we were visiting one hospital. It, these, these, these things happened that I consider supernatural and um, that, which is the only way probably I would have come to faith. I mean, I, I never could, I was never intelligent enough to make an intellectual decision. Ah, I get it. I'll be Catholic now because I read something or whatever. But um, anyway, these, we were there Christmas Eve at this one particular hospital and we're staying at this dude ranch <laughs> motel near the hospital. And uh, it's Christmas Eve. And then next morning, my wife and I take a walk in the desert. It's six in the morning. There's nobody here. We're in, we're in Arizona. And this guy pulls up on a motorcycle with deer antlers for handlebars. I'll just tell you one of the stories, but there were many like mm -hmm. this. And uh, pulls up and, you know, looks at us and starts talking to us about how he came. We are not even saying anything to the guy. And uh, he starts talking about Jesus and how he came to faith at 33 and, and how he, you know, all these things. And he kept looking at me going, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And it, I mean, just kind of like a weird messenger came out of the sun that was rising, you know. And um, he uh, said some things that were pretty astounding. And then these other things began to happen. Um, this got basically, he, then he wrote away and he comes back and he says, uh, without even saying what, you know, he must've known that my kid was there because that's the big thing next to the hotel. But they, they called up my girls because they wanted to go take a ride, a bike, a horse ride. And he says, put it down, they'll be fine without even knowing who it is. And then he, he says, uh, they, he goes away and he comes back and he looks at me for a while and he goes, God is watching you. But I didn't mention the part that the night, that Friday night, we were in the bunk, the cowboy bunk beds uh, of this dude ranch. I, my wife won the toss, so I was on the top one, you know. <laughs> and um, for the first time in my life, really, I prayed. But like, okay, I'm really going to do it now. Okay, no, there's no, I'm not sticking. There's no, I'm not doing shit, Lord. I really am, you know. I really, really prayed. And, you know, I always say that I only learned how to pray from watching Wagon Train, you know, or watching people pray on TV in, mm -hmm. in episodes of you know, shows. You know? um, which, which ironically, anyway. a lot of those, a lot of those people praying were probably Jewish actors too. <laughs> right. Or anti-Semites. You know? <laughs> yeah. Walter Brennan. War, war Bond, you know, anyway. <laughs> but um, and this guy, it was like right after that, the, this guy, and then, and then these other series of things happened. Um, uh, and I know that just this sounds kind of it just began to open up this door of uh, until finally I went to see we were on the street. Paul Schaefer and I were on the street one day and a homeless guy comes up and, you know, how it in New York, you know, you're used to that and give them money. And, you know, you know, but, you know, they just want the, you know, the money for drugs or whatever. And I said, well, there's a deli down the street. I'll take you there and get you a sandwich and, you know. Because one time I went back, I was walking down the street and I put some coins in a guy's cup and uh, coffee splashed up. It's like a, you know, construction worker guy almost killed me. Um, and this guy, we take him in and he, and he says, no, just give me some, the place was closed. They couldn't, give me some money for McDonald's. So I give him the money and his face changes. And he goes, God bless you, Tom. And he leaves. And at no point had I said my name or Paul had said my name. And, uh, this is all happening, a bunch of series of things that, anyway, gave me the kind of willies, you know, the good, the good kind. But, uh, and then I went to see this psychic to see if my kid would be okay. And uh, we had just come back from this trip. And just the last night we were there, we're taking her back to the hospital. And I see that a guy's giving hot air balloon rides. <laughs> Am I going, is this rambling? Too no, no, crazily? no, this is great. Okay. So, I, it's it's getting to be dusk and I'm going, I can't bring her back to the hospital. I got to give her some something fun, you know? So I pull off and I run up and the guy 
can we go up in the balloon? He goes, no, it's too dark. We're not going to go. So we take her back. A week later, I go to see the psychic that I hadn't seen for 38 years down on the Lower East Side. And he predicted everything in my life. I was an actor. It was, he said, you'll be a writer. You'll have to play music, whatever. And, um, and he didn't see any. I want to see, you know, he, at that point, we're grasping at straws, you know, that will our kid be okay? And, you know, uh, we get a fortune cookie with your you're a lucky man in it and think, okay, she's going to be all right. Mm. You know? But um, so he, he didn't see anything about her. But the first thing he says to me, never go in a hot air balloon ride. This is like a week after I come back. And he didn't see anything. But we're leaving. This is on Mott Street in, in, in New York. We're walking out of this townhouse. I'm a little disappointed. We haven't heard anything. And a black uh, sedan pulls up right in front of us. And out steps this young priest. Now, I had seen his name was Father Jonathan Morris. And he's be, he was on he's been on TV a lot. He's on Fox all the time. He's no longer a priest <laughs> anyway. But uh, I but the week before I just bought saw him on TV and I bought his book. So that morning his picture is facing me on my nightstand of this book about how one can find peace through suffering and so on. And he comes out of the car and. And I go, hey, that's the guy from my book. I said to my wife, I said, no. I go, I go, Father Jonathan, yeah. He comes over. I said, I got your book on my nightstand. And in the book, it says he was in Rome working PR, doing PR for the Vatican. I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I've just been made priest of this church. And the psychic's townhouse shared a wall with the rectory of the church that he had just been assigned to. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, can I, you know, I got your book. And then I don't know what possessed me, but I said, because he's such a, he was such a charismatic guy. He's a dear, dear friend. It really changed my life. But I said, can I have a coffee with you sometime? And I don't know why I said that. It just came out of me. And I always say in this little talk I give, he said, well, depends. Did you pay full price for the book? You know, but I didn't, he didn't really say that. I just say that, you know, but anyway, in long story short, it began to become, it became, it began to be so sort of overwhelming, these things that began to happen that I went, I kind of started going, all right, enough, I got it, I got it, you're carrying me, you know. And it's been the wonderful, uh, it's been amazing. I never, you know, as, and I don't know if I've told you, but when I went to our, I went to the teachings and then I was going to get back, you know, I was going to say bar mitzvah, but I was going to, you know, Baptized, yeah. Baptized and, and, and everything on a sun on a Sunday. So that Saturday night, my best friend, Paul Schaefer from, you know, Dave Letterman show and all that. I, we've been friends 40 years. He threw me a Tom Leopold's absolutely last day as a Jew roast <laughs> at Clemens Romanian restaurant. And Harry Shearer comes in full rabbi gear with a fur hat and tries to perform an intervention and, uh, we all think we're, we're working on a little movie about it because we because Dave because Jerry Foley, the director of the Letterman show, came and shot it. And it was a big roast about me leaving the Jews and how what a terrible idea it was. And Paul's opening line to the evening was we had blues backs, these gospel singers. And it was and all my friends came up and just tortured me, you know. And Paul's opening line was we're up at the top of Sammy's Romanian restaurant. It's kosher deli, a kosher restaurant. Paul's opening line was, how about this? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this wonderful? Does Tom Leopold know how to, uh, to abandon his people or what? <laughs> that was the opening line. <laughs> and it was one of the great nights of my whole life. It was just so wonderful. Everybody, because everybody knew what we had been going through and to, that we found a little, that I found a little peace in it. My, my wife was already Catholic, but that had nothing to do with it. We, we as a family or we as the Jewish people? <laughs> Huh? You, you said what you were going through, and I'm like, we as we as the family, oh. or we as a Jewish people? Well, what's the difference? We're all going through something <laughs> horrible. <laughs> yeah, we as the family, right? Did did anybody? Did any of your uh, the, the the Jewish friends do the do the uh, Paul Cicero from Goodfellas? It's like they give you the the money. And it's like now I got to turn my back on you. <laughs> no, no, but kidding. some did turn their back on me. Some a few friends did turn their back on me. But uh, not so much, and not, uh, only one really about being, leaving Judaism. Everybody else was so, because so, so, I mean, I'm just, I'm both, you know. I mean, I'm clearly, I mean, that's what I, how I look at it. 
both. But uh, no, I one only one person really, and that person I never went we went to synagogue less than I did. So yeah. there you are. Well, and so it, it, has your faith really been tested in the last year? Because I'll tell you this: when churches closed, like it, when things happened last March, and it really just it was like one thing after another. Because I was out in California. And I was out there for work when I was going into the Staples Center, and I ju- actually just went by Bob Hope's house and, and was at the Bob's Big Boy there over on Riverside. And I walk into I'm walking into Staples Center to see a, a Los Angeles Kings game, and I get a call from one of my coworkers who was also down there. They were down, I think they were at Disney Studios, and they said, uh, "Do you think it's a good idea to be going to a sporting event at this time?" And I said, "What do you mean?" And they said, "Well, they just announced that Tom Hanks has coronavirus." And everything. So then by the time I get back, I'm at the gym and they say, uh, yeah, we're shutting down the gym. And well, at least there's church. Nope, the church is shut down. So then I'm like, so the two places that I genuflect at, the church and the gym, both gone. And so my mental state, I know in 2020 was uh, as w- was with, you know, millions of other people was kind of really tested. And yeah. so I like I, I'm wondering how you felt as a as a new Catholic and uh, somebody who's new to the faith and maybe has dealt with things strife in the past and everything, but no one has dealt with this kind of strife. How did that? How how was your response to all that after all this ha- happened? I know what you mean about the gym too, because because I've just been I've never spent gone so long without exercising. <laughs> it's kind of been a real joy, actually. You know, just to kind of give up. You know, but um, well, I've uh, I miss church, but I've started going it. You know, again, um, um, and I wear the mask and all that. And uh, but I really miss going to, you know, miss that. I guess how I reacted is, um. When things outside my personal catastrophes <laughs> happen, you know, it's almost normal. I'm almost like, oh, this is refreshing. It's normal. It's not happening directly, you know, like an illness mm-hmm. of a kid or something like that. So we're all going through it together. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old, at an age now where I've seen, been through so many weird things. You know, I was like. 12 when JFK was shot and that was profound. Martin Luther King, you know, Bobby Kennedy, Vietnam. We lived downtown during the Twin Towers. They came down, you know, Manhattan. And uh, so, okay, here's the next big thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, when you've had a series, you know, when you get to a certain point, um, I I wasn't, it also was it also was happening at the height of the election too, which is, I think I was more profoundly uh, affected by, as as profoundly affected by. It. Somehow they seem to be almost connected for some reason. Almost there was a coincidence between a a, a pandemic and uh, a presidential election because the, the last couple of pandemics that we had weren't during, and we didn't have the kind of response that we ended up having. <laughs> Right. But also there's something about this election that people are so angry and, uh, you know, that that and then there's the pandemic and they're all so furious to begin with. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just seemed like two big things that in a way it was good to stay hidden, hidden in your house. That's true. At least here in Ohio, we've been fairly open since last May. New York is, uh, you know, it's it's basically Soviet Russia, it seems like, at that time. So Yeah. But next, yeah, by the way, next, next time I'm in New York, because I, I always try to make a, a trip every year, so I'll have to get together with you. Although, I think, um, the, la- I think the last time uh, you invited me, we're, you said, you know, anytime you're in New York, we'll go to the Friars Club. But the, isn't the Friars Club basically closed for, yeah, but for I, good now? I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor it may open. Okay. Open. Yeah, with a whole new set of mobsters running it. Oh, so. perfect. So it should be fine. Uh, it, hey, look. Yeah, but that, that'd be great. I'd love to. I'd love to see. Yeah, next time I'll have to I'll have to hit you up. But Tom, this has been fantastic. I I, I got to run. I got more interviews I'm doing here today, but. Uh, oh, thanks a lot. Are, it, they, are they fine? are they better than me? These people? Oh, this well, no, no, not not as good as okay. you. 
Not as good as you. That's because I was. Uh, I, I actually my other interview was at eleven forty five, and I'm like, no, this is fascinating. I want to hear more about this. So, oh, oh, okay. So I t- I texted them and I said, you know, let's make it afternoon because uh, I'm in the middle of an interview, and it was so good. So I really appreciate oh, this. A- a- anything that uh, you have to promote here? Anything that uh, any upcoming projects or anything? Not really. I uh, as I said, I'm working on this thing with Paul Schaefer and Jerry Foley, the ex director of the Letterman Show. Uh, this little. Uh, this kind of mockumentary based around my that dinner of my last mm-hmm. dinner as a new roast with all the footage and and, and interviews and kind of a, a fun thing and that's moving slowly but uh, there would have been something to promote but then the pandemic came yeah. and show business closed down well it, hopefully things are you know did, did you get your vaccine yet or are you still waiting I got one. You got yeah. you got the first one. As of yeah. this taping, you have the first one. So hopefully the next yeah. one, and then uh, then we can all get together, make out, and uh, grope each yeah, other. Yeah, right? come over. We'll we'll uh, you know take a shower, whatever whatever you feel comfortable with. See, this is the variety. We go from Catholicism to Schwanz to. <laughs> I love this, Tom. It's hey, a beautiful world, baby. This has been fantastic again. I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you again. Talk about some other things, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll post this. I'll send this to you, and it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of it'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Wow. Can't wait to post well, that. I'm flattered that you asked me again. Stay in touch anyway. Yep, absolutely. B W K, big wet kiss. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right, Tom. all right, Pally.